Scripture today is from Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight, repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is God's word. So basically, if you're visiting, we're the church that sacrifices animals for our youth group. <laughs> So no church gives you quite the picture like Living Hope of, so some kids are screaming running the other way, and some kids are screaming running toward it. But no, awesome announcement, Tom. Benjamin thought maybe top 10 announcement uh, lifetime. So that's that's awesome. We are... Uh, we are moving through the boring, relatively boring book of Romans, uh, uh, Romans 12 this morning we are in, and um, we've... Uh, We'll be going one more week in Romans, then uh, Nancy and I will be gone for a couple of weeks, and you're going to have some fantastic people speaking, and then we're going to do Palm Sunday and Easter, and then we're going to pick right back up with Romans. Um, so we'll be there through basically the end of the school year, just so you know where we're going. Um, I grew up a very competitive person. I'm highly competitive. I was so competitive that uh, my, I played mildly competitive tennis. My mom was an instructor, and so we would play. And my mom physically walked off the court when I started to pull. Before John McEnroe and the tennis brats of the 70s, I was that kid uh, who was slamming balls and throwing rackets, you know, if I missed a shot. And uh, my mom actually walked off the court in one tournament. She was so embarrassed. So it was a, a good lesson. But uh, competition, I've muted a little bit since I've gotten older, but I still, I'm just more polite about it. I still desperately want to win everything that I try. As, as I read the scripture, there's only one place that I can find where God actually encourages a competitive spirit. Everything else is kind of to mute that spirit. You know, don't compare yourselves with one another and win. In this passage that we're going to look at, we'll, we'll look at it about halfway in, it's the only place I can find, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, if you find another place where there seems to indicate in the language that we are to compete with one another. So hold that thought for just a minute. Romans 1 through 11, the first 11 chapters, tells us what's, what God has done to bring us into relationship with himself. It's the story, this grand arc of the broken world and what God has done in Jesus 
to give your life meaning and purpose, to, to give forgiveness where you've absolutely blown it. And that the gospel message is so contained in these first 11 chapters that he turns to Romans 12 and we say, okay, if that's true, if that's touched your life, how are you going to live? What does that mean? And so we've looked at in Romans 12 the way that our lives are to be given completely to God as a living sacrifice. Last week we looked at what it means to have your mind renewed, to think differently about everything. That if Jesus Christ is alive, that changes everything or should change everything in your world. And so for the church in Rome, going back to what they were hearing, you've got Gentiles and Jews, two groups who didn't like each other, who had a lot of animosity. And Paul is saying that if the world's going to know that this gospel about Jesus is actually true, it's going to be in the way you treat each other within the church. And so the challenge is to both the Jews and the Gentiles to live differently, to reflect that. In the what we looked at a little bit last week of the gifts that are given in the church, these how we find out what how God has wired us, and in verses 3 through 8, it looks at how the gifts that differ from one another, according to the grace, we're supposed to use them for the benefit of everyone. And now in what Paul just read, it's sort of this rapid-fire, machine-gun-like phrase after phrase. Let, and the way it reads in Greek is just a verb and then a modifier to that verb. So love, genuine, hate, evil. It just boom, 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 all the way through there. And some of these things you can just, some of will engage your imagination more than others, but it's it's really easy to just see this as isolated phrases about, well, Paul was just trying to figure out all the best ways to live, and he just threw out everything he could, like throwing spaghetti against the refrigerator and see which one sticks, and you know it's done. Now, I think there's a method to his madness here. So if you'd open, if you've got your Bible, would you open with me to Romans 12? And let's look at Romans 12, starting at verse 9. As an overarching sort of theme of this, I think Paul's speaking to both the church and then to the way we treat each other, who are believers, and then how do we treat people who don't like us? The, the Romans did not like the Christians because they didn't worship the gods that the Romans said to worship. They didn't toe the party line. Our culture, not that much different. If you're going to worship God and what he says, the world may, may not love you. Probably won't. How do we treat them? So looking at the way that breaks down, I'm going to suggest, while it's not rigid, I want to suggest that there's two kind of sections in this, Romans 9 through 13, particularly, are going to deal with the way we treat each other as believers, and that 14 through 21, with maybe a verse accepting how we look at the world around us and how we treat people that don't like us very much, that are enemies, at least in Paul's eyes, would be enemies. So look with me at verses 9 through 13, these rapid-fire uh, relationships and, and actions. And I'm going to suggest there are four thrusts in this. 
that the first two verses talk about how to treat people lovingly, and then the next two, how to be, live zealously, then to live patiently, and then to live generously. So let's look. Let love be genuine. Hate what's evil. Hold fast to what's good. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Those five would be how to love. Now I wanna, I'm gonna park for a few minutes on that last one. You could pick any of them, but I just wanna park on that one. Outdo one another in showing honor. Some of your things will say esteem others. The word there has the idea of competition. It means to lead, to take the lead, to, to win, to be first in the competition. There's a, an English word, hegemony, which means when one country or system dominates another. That's the Greek word that's used in. That you actually dominate someone else. Now, when we think of, I'm dominating you, we're not so much thinking about showing honor, right? Thinking about, you lose and I win. Look at what Paul says. If you're going to compete, I want you to compete in this way. Who's going to be first over the finish line in showing honor to others? Let's just think about that for a minute. What does it mean to show honor? Where, where do you see it? Well, in our culture, not a lot. Just imagine we've got a, we're, we're, we bumped a year ahead. We, we all just can't wait for the next presidential debates to choose the party leaders who will run. And I know we're, we're all just with bated breath waiting for those. Just imagine for a minute that during the, these debates, uh, as they're trying to pick a candidate, they say, well, before I talk about my differences with my esteemed colleague, I just want to talk about all the great things that they've done for our country and our party. Can we imagine that? Not now. Why? Well, it's about winning and tearing down and belittling, right? That's the world's system. To show honor to someone who we would consider a rival would be just, we can't even really wrap our head around doing that. A few weeks ago, I was attending a funeral of a just a faithful, good guy. Loved the Lord for many years, loved his family. He's a butcher for 35 years at Safeway. Just one of those guys, just faithful guy. And they opened up the mic after having a few people share about his life. They just said, anyone here? There was, I don't know, 150, 200 people at the church where it was. And... You know, person after person got up. And you know what they were doing? In a sense, they were outdoing one another, trying to be, I want to tell you what he did for me. I want to tell you how he loved me. I'm I'm going to be better than the last person that said that. And, you know, it's almost uh, ridiculous the way we think about funerals now because, like, boy, if only they could have been here to hear it, right? Hopefully as believers, maybe, I don't know, if they can watch and like, you know, we always say, well, why didn't we do that when they were alive, right? Well, that's, that's it. That's what Paul's saying. Showing honor. When Nancy and I were youth pastors in Central Florida, one of the things that we 
found was the most powerful way to change the environment was to have the kids affirm one another. And we would often just, as part of youth group or part of an event, just say we would choose a student and say, I just want everyone to take a minute and think about what you think is fantastic about that person. Now, if I was going to do that right now, and I was just going to choose one of you in this room, and I was going to say, I want everybody at Living Hope to think about, are you thinking to yourself, I hope it's me? I guarantee you, most of you are thinking, oh, he better not choose me. Is that right? Think for a minute with me. Why? Why is that? Why would most of you, most of us, I'd be the same way, oh, I, I, I don't want to focus on me? Maybe. Here's what the kids would say, because it, initially it would mortify every student. And that was part of my job as a youth pastor, was to mortify every student in that youth group, to totally traumatize them with, with encouragement. Why? Because they would think, nobody here knows me. Kids, all, I, all the time we would have kids say, no one will be able to say one good thing about me. You know why? Because their image of themselves is every rotten thing. You know why? Because that's what the world tells us. Is social media full of showing honor to one another in love? No, it's a cesspool of, of how to shame people with what's wrong. And the Bible says as a culture, we are not to sit there and just say, oh, terrible, 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 though I just did. But to say we want to create something different within the church that says I'm going to outdo in showing honor. And so you'd, you'd say, all right, I won't mortify anyone here, but if I, if I said, you know, let's t- tell every, everybody what you like about, and they begin to speak, you know, when, when he did this, and they were personal, they were observational, and we, we reached the point where one of our volunteers would have to write it down because the student would either be crying or would be just couldn't even hear it because you'd have just dozens of things, of incidents that they were had blessed people and they didn't know. And we had students, more than one student, after they were adults, this is, you know, in the 90s, this is years ago, who would keep a folded up piece of paper that we would give them of that day to remind them of what it's like when the body of Christ would show honor. So I want to see us bring the kingdom of God to bear so that, yes, there are times we have to challenge each other. There are times when we have to say hard words to people But think about it in your own family, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters. Are you willing to show honor to go out of your way to think about how it is that those in your home bless you? You know, most of you are probably doing that every day anyway. But just in case, I would encourage you to do that, to I've never heard anyone say, I feel way too encouraged. I just have never had anyone come and say, could you please have my children stop telling me what a great parent I am? 
I just can't take it anymore. Why do we laugh, right? So just, I mean, you can, hopefully you can think of ways I was trying to think of all the ways I have felt honored in my life. I felt honored many, many times, but just a couple of things. Put yourself in the position of another person, especially one maybe that you don't understand very well or you don't relate to. Put yourself in their shoes and speak a word of encouragement, write a note, a phone call, a text. It pays dividends in their life far beyond all proportion of how small a thing it is for us to do. And it's not just, it's not flattery, it's not manipulation. It's just saying, I honor you for the sacrifice you've made or for the, that I know it's hard to be you sometimes, you know, with my wife. It, it's hard to be her living with me sometimes. I get that. But showing honor to compete with one another, be first across the finish line of showing honor. I know I parked there, but I just, I just feel like it changes the atmosphere of any organization, whether it's a work thing or whether it's a, uh, school co-op or whatever, to show honor, outdo one another. Two more comments on this section of dealing with each other. Very quick. Two more comments. To be zealous, to be to never flag in zeal, to be alive with the Spirit and to serve the Lord. I just want us to think for a minute, if, if, if you're faith in your Christian life is something that is boring to you. I get that. I'm not no condemnation. But can I tell you that the Holy Spirit would like to make it so alive that the zeal is not something that you strive to have? When you're aglow with the Spirit, it's like lighting a fire. The fire is not thinking, oh, I just hope I can catch those leaves and paper on fire. It's what fire does. So here's just a prayer. Holy Spirit, come into me and light my soul on fire so that I desire this. Do you realize God can change your desires? Do you, do you believe that? You may not feel like loving your spouse or your kids. Your own love may be dead. You may not feel like loving a Democrat or a Republican. You may not feel like loving that hate speech that's out there. You may feel like you just want to tear them apart. I get that. The Holy Spirit wants to change your desire to do the will of God. Do you believe that? If so, then ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, especially if you feel dead inside. Some of us here feel dead inside to our faith. It happens all the time. Fires go out when they're not tended. Be a glow, be a blaze with the Spirit. And finally, the third, third section. So the, anyway, the three, the, the ways I'm breaking this down, and this is not, again, this is not rigid, but treating each other in church lovingly, zealously, patiently, and generous, generously. Patiently, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. Those aren't the sexy verbs of the faith. I'm just going to be constant in prayer. 
those are actually the things that will produce fruit in your life long term. To be in the marathon, to be patient when things are really hard, when you can't forgive, to wait and to say, I choose, O Lord, to obey you rather than wait for my feelings. Lord, I choose to be constant in prayer, even when I feel like the prayers are making no impact or effect. This will begin to change your life. The second section of uh, of Romans 12, the final section, 14 through 21, generally, I think, this speaks to those who are don't like us, who are outside the church. Verse 15, maybe, maybe not. I, I'm not sure what to think about that. Here's 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Could be people inside the church, too, I suppose. That's sad, but true sometimes. 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I've actually found that for those, particularly in our old neighborhood, as we develop relationships and People in our neighborhood, some of them didn't like us because of some of the things we believed. But in coming alongside them and attending the funerals of their parents, of uh, weeping during their family tragedies and crisis, we found it built bridges to people who really didn't like who we were. Rejoicing with them and not judging, but rejoicing was a great way to actually build bridges Don't be haughty. Live in harmony with one another. Associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. And on it goes. I'm going to pick up one verse in just a minute. Just some closing thoughts. I think we err one of the ways, if you're a Christian, one of the ways we err is we expect non-Christians to act like Christians. Please don't do that. We get so upset. I've seen it for decades now. You know, non-Christians will make a non-Christian movie and Christians get upset about it, that it's a non-Christian movie, that it's blasphemous. Blasphemers blaspheme. It is what they do. That's not the issue at hand. The issue is, are you going to love people or are we going to scold people? Now, different for believers. We have a different expectation. So don't expect non-believers to act like believers. On the other hand, have a realistic expectation of believers. If you have too high an expectation that they won't fall in sin, that's going to get us in trouble as well. But if we have too low an expectation and think, well, believers are just like non-believers, there's no difference. Au contraire, my friend, there ought to be. Let's read Romans, right? There should be a change in our lives. Repentance should be the mark. So let's have a realistic expectation. But let's, let's be careful as we look at this Living humbly, harmoniously, and peaceably with people outside the church who don't like Christians is, while in no way denying the Lord or the beliefs of it, it's completely countercultural. It's provocative in the best sense to say, oh yeah, I believe that, and I'd love to have a cup of coffee with you. People don't do that in our culture. We're just going you know, to fight with each other, right? Can you sit down with people and try to live peaceably? Verse 17 says, Give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Good good word. 
Verse 18, the Bible is so realistic. Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That tells me it's not always possible and it doesn't always depend on you. There are times when you're not going to be able to. I love the Bible's realism. But let's not be the place where things, where we become the point of contention. And finally, let me just close with this. This is, this one is, it's kind of a weird, I don't know, it, it feels weird to me. <clears throat> Beloved, verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourself. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. All right, what do you do with that, right? So what is it? Okay, so does this mean, oh, I just, you know, if I'm nice to that person that I really dislike, man, are they going to get it even more? Because I'm just heaping burning coals. What does burning coals on their head mean? Like, should we be glad that they're really going to get it? That the wrath of God is going to come down and consume them? Woohoo! Really? No, I don't think so. This is Paul's quoting from Proverbs here. Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. It's a direct quote. Coals of fire and scripture. And we talked about it several times. It talks about heaping burning coals or having burning coals touch the human. Probably the best known is Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has a vision of the Lord and says, an angel of the Lord took burning coals. Do you remember this? And wh where did he touch? His lips, right? That's, a, that's an image, isn't it? It's on your head in a sense. It's not dumping them. I'm not sure what dumping burning coals on your head you know, just hurts. But here's burning coals. What was it for? It was to purify a person of unclean lips, he says. I, those burning coals purify. My contention is this, and I would love to hear your thoughts if you have different thoughts on it. Uh, look, I'm just throwing it out there because, but I think the wrath of God, the justice of God, knows far better how to deal with people who've done you wrong. And there are people in this body or people all over, seriously, you have had evil done to you. You have been sinned against. You've been abused. You've been put down. You've been mocked. People have left you, they've abandoned you, they've, they have done wrong. Your choice is this, you take vengeance and you treat them the way they treated you. And the Bible says that's going to be non-redemptive. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. That if you decide to treat them, then the war begins and you'll begin to shoot back and forth. But the Bible's counsel is, that if you somehow will bless and not curse, if you will do good and feed when they're hungry and give them drink, that somehow it will provoke something that for some, not for all, but for some it will provoke them in a way to wake them up that maybe they will repent and they will change and they will turn. And that burning coals is a way to get people's attention now, some may turn away. It's not up to us. But I can tell you the possibility that if 
you treat with kindness when you have every right in the world sense to treat with scorn opens the possibility for the wrath and justice of God. And hear me on this. We want the just wrath and righteousness and vengeance of God because he's the one that can distinguish and it can be redemptive. God's justice is redemptive. Ours is not. Ours tears down. And I think my own take on this is that to be able to have burning coals like in the altar, when the Jewish sacrificial altar, they'd take burning coals and they'd pour oil on it and it would all of a sudden create an incense before God that was beautiful and that created a scent that God would receive and his presence would come because it was so lovely. I'd love to see burning coals like that in you want, we want to change a culture. I mean, how many times have I heard we're polarized? I mean, that's sort of the word of the century or, or whatever. The church, too. Maybe our homes, too. If we're going to change it, I'd love to see burning coals do it. That we treat each other with such a show of honor and with such a, a place where we say, God, I leave for you to figure out the right and wrong and how to deal with this, and I will love as you loved. Lord, I'll sacrifice as you sacrificed, and I'll leave the redemptive vengeance to you, Lord. Do not be overcome by evil. We live in evil times, guys. We live in dark times, and I think darkening times. Don't be overcome. Overcome evil with good. Romans 12 begins with how we be, we are transformed. We individually start. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it ends with transforming a culture. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome, transform evil with good. It moves from our hearts, hopefully to our homes, to our churches and our bodies and out into a culture. But it's going to take us living differently. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you that as we look at your word, it's incredibly challenging because I can't live like this. I don't know how to live like this. I hate my enemies naturally, Lord. I want nothing to do with them. The best I have to offer is simply to ignore them. And you say, no, feed them, minister to them, love them. Lord, would you show me and show us how we do that? Lord, where there's enmity in our homes, at our workplaces, in our schools, where there's just people that we just don't want to be around, even blood, Lord, would you make us a glow with the Spirit? that the Spirit of God who loved His enemies so much, us, me, I was your enemy. When I hated you, you sent your only Son. While I was yet a sinner and a God-hater, you sent your Son to die for me. Lord, for those who are listening who know that they're not in right relationship with you, that they're walking in sin, that they're doing 
and they're, they're walking as your enemies, Lord. Pour burning coals on my head, Lord. Purify me, Lord. Bring me to repentance. Let your redemptive justice, Lord, tell me that I need to fall under the cross. Before we close, let me just let's just take a minute. Do you just take a minute and talk to God? See if He brings to your mind anyone, especially someone difficult for you that you should and and can show honor to, outdo in showing honor. That you would ask to be filled with the Spirit, to be zealous, to patiently endure and to love those who've wronged you. Would you just take a minute, talk to the Lord, and listen to the voice of the Lord? Then we'll close. I don't know if this is for anyone in particular or just generally, but, but think in your own families. If there are people, family members that you're estranged from, is there any way for you to show them honor? Is there any way for you to feed them if they're hungry? at least metaphorically, and if the Holy Spirit is just pricking that in you, so be it. Make your word come alive in us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and we'll close.